Chapter 5 Dealing with Fear and Doubt Quotation by Rabia, Sufi Tradition I am the murderer of joy, said the angel of death, the widower of wives, the orphaner of children. Why always run yourself down, said Rabia? Why not say instead, I am he who brings friend and friend together? Two of the greatest obstacles you are likely to encounter as a spiritual practitioner facing death are fear and doubt. But these are only obstacles to those who view them as such. If, instead of trying to run away from fear and doubt, you take them as precious opportunities for spiritual practice, fear can be transformed into love and doubt into certainty. To see how this is possible, let us take a closer look at each. Fear. Perhaps you have seen a painting or a statue portraying the Buddha in the hour of his death. Calm and serene, he is usually shown reclining in the lion posture, lying on his right side with his right hand placed under his chin and his left arm lying along his left leg. His eyes are gently closed, and there is the hint of a sublime smile playing across his lips, which bears witness to his attainment of that peace that passes all understanding. Indeed, this archetype of spiritual death is one of the most powerful to be found in all the great traditions. Above all, it speaks to us of our own inherent potential for transcending the whole realm of delusion and its suffering. Having seen such a representation, however, you may think that, as a spiritual practitioner, you too should be able to die in a similar fashion, that a truly spiritual person would not experience any fear, anxiety, or despair, but, like the Buddha, be able to face death with unwavering tranquility while radiating love and compassion to all who come within range. Perhaps you are even making an effort consciously or unconsciously, to live up to this image only to find that you cannot, that fear and other negative emotions arise again and again to destroy your dreamed-of equanimity. The problem, however, lies not in the emotions themselves, but in your refusal to accept them. This is well illustrated by another equally powerful archetype of spiritual death, that of Christ on the cross, especially when he is depicted in that moment of supreme agony, crying out, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Now these two images, the peacefully reclining Buddha and the crucified Christ, appear completely contradictory. How can they be reconciled? In fact, they are two sides of the same coin. The archetype of the Buddha expresses that aspect of consciousness which transcends all things, while the Christ archetype expresses that aspect which is imminent in all things, including suffering itself. When taken together, then, these complementary images of death contain one of the most profound teachings of the entire spiritual path, we attain to the peace of the Buddha not by avoiding the crucifixion of Christ, but by embracing it. But how can this be accomplished in practice? First, be scrupulous about keeping the precept of honesty, not to deceive yourself or others by word or deed. In particular, you must not deceive yourself by pretending that you do not feel fear when in fact you do. Instead of denying fear, 
Fix your attention on it and notice that the fear is not you, but simply an object arising in consciousness. Feel yourself to be the space of awareness in which this object arises, the womb that gives it and all things birth. Second, practice compassion. Embrace your fear as you would a frightened child and ask what it is afraid of. It will answer that it is afraid of death. Why? Because death, being totally without form, is an inconceivable mystery. But notice that the mystery of death is identical to the mystery of God. Both are formless. Thus, the fear of death and the fear of God are really one and the same fear. By tracing the fear of death to its source in the fear of the unknown, you have actually touched the unknown that is God. Realize this. Finally, allow your fear to spontaneously transform itself into love. This does not require any effort. While continuing to embrace fear, simply focus your attention on the mystery of God in death and let go of all images of yourself. Notice that when all your self-images are stripped away, what is left of your fear is nothing but a current of pure energy. The reason you experience this energy as suffering has nothing to do with the energy itself, but with the fact that it is trapped inside the boundaries of your imagined self. By allowing these boundaries to dissolve, you will discover that the energy of fear actually carries within it an extraordinary strength and clarity. And if you now surrender to this current of pure energy, you will experience for yourself what the great Hasidic master Eleazar of Worms meant when he wrote this. When the soul thinks deeply about the fear of God, then the flame of heartfelt love bursts in it, and the exaltation of innermost joy fills the heart. Doubt. Like fear, doubt is only an obstacle for those who do not know what to do with it. In fact, the courage to doubt is an indispensable prerequisite for the spiritual quest. This is because if you do not dare question those fundamental concepts about the nature of a reality that you have inherited from your culture, these concepts will forever stand as a barrier between you and a transconceptual gnosis of reality as it truly is. Thus, it is only through doubting that you can ever arrive at the truth. But when doubt calls into question the validity of the quest itself, that is, when you doubt whether it is worth asking such questions as who am I and what is this world, and so stop engaging in those practices that will help you discover the answers, then it can indeed present a formidable obstacle. This tends to happen whenever we are faced with the prospect of having to abandon the known in favor of venturing deeper into the unknown. Finding that its conventional stock of knowledge can no longer be relied upon as it enters new uncharted regions, the ego rebels and tries to flee back to the security of that familiar world it internalized as a child. This reaction often becomes particularly acute during periods of crisis because successfully navigating through most crises usually demands that we make a greater leap into the unknown than we ever imagined would be necessary.
Needless to say, your own impending death represents this kind of crisis in the extreme. Consequently, you may find yourself from time to time being plagued by such doubts as, Perhaps all this mysticism is nonsense after all. Perhaps death is the end of everything. Why bother with all these spiritual practices? The occurrence of such doubts is common, and in most cases no great cause for concern. If they appear in your mind, do not try to suppress them, for they will only return in stronger form later. The first thing to do is notice that these doubts are just thoughts, and as such have no substance and thus no power to bind you. Then simply allow them to pass away as you would any other distraction, and return to whatever you were doing. If your doubts persist, the next thing to do is to take the doubts themselves as objects of meditation and follow Lao Tzu's instructions. The myriad phenomena all rise together, and by watching them I see where they return. They arise in great numbers, and each returns to its root. Returning to one's root is called stillness. Being still, you return to your true destiny. In returning to one's true destiny, one knows the constant, and knowing the constant, one becomes wise. In other words, you should ignore the content of your thoughts and view them simply as phenomena arising in consciousness. Then, by watching to see where these thought phenomena come from and where they go, you will discover that they come from and return to that space of awareness which is beyond all thought whatsoever. If you now simply remain in this space, you will see that there is no need to get rid of thoughts of any kind. They arise and vanish all by themselves. If you are a beginning practitioner, however, you may not yet be able to achieve this degree of detachment from your own thought processes. Then you must confront your doubts more directly and at a deeper level. The easiest way to transform doubt into certainty is through faith. It must be remembered, however, that from the mystic's point of view, faith does not mean static belief in any codified dogma. Rather, it means temporarily placing your trust in the guidance of a teacher or teachings who will eventually lead you beyond faith to your own insights and ultimately to your own gnosis. This is similar to the kind of faith one places in any instructor, say a mathematician or music teacher, in order to learn a particular subject or skill. Then, as one's education progresses, one begins to acquire one's own understanding or proficiency, so that gradually faith is replaced by knowledge and expertise. Of course, the only way to be rid of all spiritual doubts is to finally taste for yourself, for as the great Hindu mystic Anandamayama declared, Truth, that which is, has to be made one's own. But this in turn can only be accomplished through conducting your own search. By making inquiry and engaging in the appropriate practices, you too can eventually find that absolute and unshakable certainty which comes with enlightenment. Thus, if you allow doubts to become a rationalization for lethargy and inaction, then they will certainly stop you dead in your tracks. On the other hand, if your doubts inspire you to find out the truth for yourself, 
then they will actually become a powerful motivation for pursuing the path. Here, for example, is how another great mystic, Lalishwari, described the kinds of doubts she grappled with at the beginning of her own journey. Where have I come from? What road have I traveled? Which way am I going? I don't know the way, yet here I stand with courage and determination, hoping to grasp the knowledge of the truth. And here is how she described her journey's end. As my faith and love grew, the darkness of the world diminished. Within and without, light began to shine. Lali lost herself in that light. When the sun of knowledge rose, the dew of ignorance disappeared. When I realized my oneness with the name of God, my I-ness was obliterated, and Lali found peace. And here's what she has to say to you. Are you awake? Then stride forth, walk fast, and complete your journey. To summarize, then, the real difference between a spiritual and a worldly person facing death has nothing to do with whether or not they experience fear and doubt, but rather with how they react to these experiences. While the worldly person is normally overwhelmed by so-called negative thoughts and emotions, and thus becomes further lost in delusion, the spiritual practitioner learns how to transform all thoughts and feelings, positive or negative, into precious opportunities for spiritual practice.